Yes, people, we are back for episode seven of the Trading Lever podcast. I'm your host, Steve Boxman. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Dave, from Boxing's First. Dave, how are you, mate? We've got a special one lined up today. Yeah, excited for this one. We was picking our brains earlier this week with the poor card from the weekend just gone from Queensbury. And Matt Troom seemed to be twinning what Queensbury are doing at the winner and the, the, the putting on an equally unimpressive card. But we've come up with something special here, so I really am looking forward to this one. Yeah, and we will kick off the show by looking back at the weekend's action, starting with Daniel Dubois' return to the ring against Bogdan Dinu. Dave, it was a great it was a great win for Dubois to banish some of the demons and to get back to winning ways, but we didn't really learn much in there, did we? Didn't learn a massive amount. I was looking to see if he was maybe a bit hesitant to engage or with the Joyce injury in mind, but he didn't seem to do that. I did notice he looked quite a bit more relaxed. One of the criticisms that Dubois got, and Frank Bruno to the same extent, it must be something to do with the big muscle mass, is that these fighters can look stiff. I think Joshua to, to a degree gets it because he's so big. Not fluent in the movement, but I thought Dubois looked a bit more relaxed, which seemingly just coming off that, that first defeat to Joyce and the, and the potential career-changing injury, it was good to see. But yeah, he put him away like we knew he would. So not too much learnt, but there were signs there that he, he with alongside Shane, he's, he's going in the right direction. So what now for Dubois, Dave? We we touched upon this last week and we both agreed that it wouldn't be a great idea to rush him back into a fight like Joe Joyce again. So um, although Dubois did talk about wanting to avenge that loss, I don't think he's ready for that. But Warren spoke about going after the WBA regular champion, Trevor Bryan. Now, obviously, Dubois won the interim title. Um, that's a fight he can most definitely win for me as Bryan is just not that good, in, in all honesty. But... If that's the fight he does, he does take, Dave, and he wins the WBA regular title, where does he go from there? Yeah, he, the Joyce fight, he's just not ready for that. Number one, I don't think Joyce could take it. He'd see that as a step back. And when he's on the verge of a world title, he's shot himself if, if things go his way. And Dubois needs to realise that that Trevor Bryant fight puts him in a very similar to position to Joyce then because... Hopefully, we know the heavyweight championships up in the air at the minute and, and all the palaver that's going on at the top end. But once it's all settled and whether Fury and AJ fight or Wilder and Yuzik, whoever finally goes for that undisputed, once them belts are back on the market, that puts Dubois in a brilliant position. He's a regular champion or whatever the WBA like to call the secondary champion. He will be that. So he'll be in the frame for a world title shot. So after Brian, he doesn't want to get too ahead of himself. We talked about Cabriel last weekend being a potential opponent and we saw him out. So he's a potential good good name to have on his record and just to keep busy. I think, like you, he's going to beat Brian and I think he'd like to not risk it too much and get that title shot. So a Cabriel type opponent would be, would be fantastic for him. Yeah, it will be an interesting one going forward and we'll have to see how that partnership develops with Shane McGuigan. Um, I don't think at 23 years of age we can be writing Dubois off at the moment, but it's clear after that joyous defeat that things just need to steady on a little bit. And I'm sure they're not going to rush things and they're not going to push him into the big fights too soon this time. But he's got uh, he's got plenty to go upon and I'm, I'm pretty confident that Dubois at some point will win um, a version of a world title whether that be the regular title or, or a full version. But uh, let's see how that partnership with McGuigan unfolds. But on to the undercard. And let's be honest, Dave, it wasn't great, was it? The atmosphere for the Heaney fight was a joy to behold. So good on the lad. 
but did anything catch your eye or impress you on the undercard? They all retained their undefeated records, didn't they? Exactly what we said would have happened last week, and you don't have to be a boxing genius to, to work out that that was going to be the case. I think the standout action on that car was the Tommy Fury four-rounder. He's fighting somebody with for the first time with a winning record, but when you delve a bit deeper into that winning record, it meant for quite dire reading, really. It wasn't, you wasn't going in there with anyone decent. But straight away, the scrutiny was on Tommy Fury because he was getting caught in there. You know, this opposition obviously came to fight and he brought it to Fury, but he just looked very hittable. So Fury's got a lot to work on, but I'm sure he will. Yeah, you know, he's got the perfect sparring partner if he wants him in his brother, so there's definitely the work there for him. But other than that, yeah, like you mentioned, the Heaney atmosphere, that's what we need to hear, isn't it? We've seen him on YouTube with his Delilah and his Stoke City fans. It looks absolutely amazing to be at. The, the energy's there. He's a future star, whether he goes all the way or not, he's got that diehard backing. So it, that was great to see. But no, other than that, there wasn't many talking points, really, was there? It was exactly as we said it would be. Dave, you got any interest in Tommy Fury, Jake Paul? Don't know who to win that now, to be honest. <laughs> After this weekend, there seemed to be a lot of people who, who came out with that statement as well. If, if you'd have asked me on Friday, I'd say Tommy Fury blasts him out of the water, but... After this weekend, I don't know, he just looked there to be it. Whether it was a, a, an off performance or whether he's just not... His brother, you know, his brother's so defensively savvy, so hard to hit and so awkward. And his technique means he doesn't take much punishment. And Tommy just... Maybe he just thought, I can run through this guy and, and put defence on the back burner. More will obviously come out going forward, but as for a circus show with Tommy Fury, which started off, let's not forget, from really nice Derek putting black audience figures out for Tommy, one of Tommy Fury's outings. <laughs> it's definitely not for me to, to... No, I won't be staying up for anything like that. Yeah, and from one Paul brother to another, we won't speak too much about this, but moving stateside in the early hours of Monday morning, Floyd Mayweather took on Logan Paul in an exhibition match. So I don't know about you, Dave, but I didn't watch the fight. I've seen a few clips on Twitter and I've seen a mixed bag of comments on the fight itself, but I don't want to talk about that fight in particular. But on the undercard, we had Badu Jack and Jarrett Hurd. Let's start with Hurd, Dave. We spoke about or, or we spoke about uh, possible fights for Hurd in the future last week, and he mentioned a possible undisputed fight against Jamel Charlo if he was to beat Castano. But after losing a decision to Arias, and convincingly by the sounds of it, I didn't watch the fight. I heard it was a very good fight, but he lost convincingly. It's going to be a tough road for him now, isn't it, Dave? Yeah, it was a massive shock to the system, wasn't it? We put our bet together that we'll speak on later, and Hurd was one of the stronger bets that was on there, the stronger fights that I really fancied, we can't go wrong there and he, you can't really blame inactivity because Arias has been inactive, was 160 a problem, we know that Javid Hurd's very physical he's very strong at 154 so maybe he doesn't carry that strength he did drop Arias but he didn't look as physically dominating Like I'm like you, I've seen the highlights I will go back and watch it because I'd like to see what, how Hurd ended up in a position of losing a fight that many felt was just routine, he should have won. So I'd like to see what ultimately went wrong and what his uh, downfall was. But very surprised by Herd. Where does he go from here? Maybe it's a wake-up call he needed and, and he starts a bit lower than aiming at the top and, and builds himself back up. Maybe that's what he needs. Yeah, and I'm going to touch upon that in a moment, Dave. But I do feel for him. Um, I, I said last week I've been a fan of his and I, he has got a fan-friendly style, but it seems he's moved away from what he's actually good at. 
Um, defense has never been his strong point, and by the sounds of uh, things I've read on the fight last night, it certainly wasn't his strong point in that fight either. But he's been able to use his size and his physical advantage effectively um, at 154 pounds. But what this loss fee, uh, means for him, I, I really don't know. And I, I would imagine he still's a go. He still goes ahead with his plan to move back to 154, but. He's not going to be favoured after his last two or three performances. Um, a guy I follow on Twitter, uh, Twitter Big Irv, um, he put a poll out asking who wins a fight between Hurd and Tazoo. And it was a landslide win for Tazoo. And, and, and that just wouldn't have been the case not too long ago. Maybe a couple of weeks ago, even last week, it probably wouldn't have been the case. But I don't know. Are, are we going to see him move into that gatekeeper role now and, and, and be put in against the likes of Fundora and Tazoo? Or, or are we going to see him back in with the likes of Williams and Harrison, Dave? What do you think? I wouldn't mind to see him take that gatekeeper role, not on a permanent basis, but as you've just mentioned there, questions are being asked now, and rightfully so. You can't blame people at looking at his past few performances and thinking maybe Heard was was more talk than he was action. But if he goes back in with the Tim Tazoos, the, the Fundoras and people like that, and, and, and grabs a win, suddenly fans' opinions change again, don't they? And they start pushing him back to the top. That's how fickle we are as boxing fans. We're all guilty of it at times. You see somebody have a poor performance, maybe a shock defeat, um, and we call it a day for him. We retire him straight away like a racehorse. But it's not like that. We can have a bad day and we can come back. So I'm more than willing to give him another opportunity, definitely. And let's see against the Fundoras and Tim Tazuz, who have who have got that renewed energy, they're up and coming, they're hungry. If he can compete with them, if he can grab a win against one of them, he's definitely right back up in contention for me. Yeah, and I'm sure you agree, Dave, but heard Fundora, that's a seriously fun fight. That is a seriously fun fight. There's no defence going on in there. We're not looking at a, a Mayweather sweet pea. We're taking a master clashing defence there, are we? We're looking at skull-crushing blows and, and, and may the, the most gutsy, ballsy, brave man win. Yeah, that's guaranteed action, that one. But um, Badu Jack, he remained on the card despite his original opponent, John Pascal, testing positive for pretty much every performance-enhancing drug that you've never heard of. Um, it was great that he still got a run out. I wasn't convinced they were going to get a replacement in for him, but they did. And it was a convincing stoppage win for him. And, and Badu Jack is a nice guy. He's, he's never ducked a challenge throughout his career. And I put a tweet out about the... The, the run of, of fights that he's on. And he's he's been in there with some brilliant fighters, the DeGals, the George Groves, the Dirrells, um, the the Stevensons. And like I said, he, he hasn't ducked a challenge. So it would be good to see him back in the mix against the top light heavyweight next, wouldn't it, Dave? Yeah, he's, he's always a welcome addition to that white class. Like you say, the man just doesn't say no, does he? You put a fight on the table for him, he gets in the ring and he does his business. Win, lose, or draw, he'll come back out next time and he'll give the same effort again. I'm so glad he got his pay there because there must be nothing worse than putting your, all your time and energy into camp. He has got family that he's going to be away from while he's training, putting the hours in, making the weight to go in and then for his opposition to just blowing up in, in roids and EPO and what, like you say, whatever unheard of drug was in his system. It, it, it was must have been crushing for him. So thankfully they found an opponent and it was a decent fight. You know, we had a bit of everything. We had point deductions, we had knockdowns and it was a deserved winner, wasn't he? So going forward, it can definitely make more noise in that division. Uh, an action fan-friendly style like that is always a great addition to absolutely any weight class. So, yeah, well done, Jack. Great to see him back. Now on to our special, Dave, and I've really been looking forward to this one. Uh, last Thursday marked the passing of the great Muhammad Ali. It's been five years since he sadly passed away. Uh, so we're going to dedicate this episode to the man himself. Dave, 
we could probably talk for days about Ali. But let me ask you this. Describe Muhammad Ali in just three words. I'm going to upset uh, a fighter that's recently retired. Or is he retired? We don't know. But TBE, the best ever. It's not Floyd Mayweather. I know he likes to think he is. And, and he's in a conversation for, for being one of the greatest boxers of all time. But Ali was more than a boxer, wasn't he? He stood, up, he stood for a lot more than that. He wasn't all flash and, and mouth. Of course, he had that about him as well. But he stood for human rights. He, he, he was the greatest heavyweight champion that's ever lived. He was an all-round great, great man, great character, great fighter. And even with his declining health, he still stood for hope and so much more for so many communities. He was a pillar of everything, wasn't he? So even though Floyd Mayweather is great and I won't take what he's done in the ring away from him, Muhammad Ali, for me, in three words, is the best ever. Yeah, Dave, you, you've summed up the man perfectly there. And I, I'm going to be very similar along, uh, along those lines. And I, I'm going to use the three words, best heavyweight ever. And I just think there, there's no there's no denying that fact. He is the best heavyweight ever. Um, we can all sit here and we can discuss about who we think is the greatest ever. Uh, and everyone's going to differ. People might say Sugar Ray Robinson. Some might say Harry Greb, even though they haven't seen footage of him. But we, we know his record is unbelievable. Others might say Muhammad Ali. And, and the more modern fan might say Floyd Mayweather. But um, in, in my opinion and most people's opinion, and it should be everyone's opinion, Muhammad Ali is the best or the greatest heavyweight ever. So we're never going to see another like him. The man had it all. Speed, agility, footwork, a great chin. And you can't underestimate his power either. And, and to top it all off, Dave, another thing that separated him from the rest was that he had incredible mental strength. Now, that man could beat an opponent before he even got in the ring. His self-belief, his confidence was on a different level. And as we know, that man could talk. But before we look back at some of his greatest moments, as we know, Ali was a truly inspirational man, as Dave's mentioned earlier. And of course, we know that he wasn't shy about expressing himself on things outside of boxing. But Dave, could you imagine what it would be like to have Ali around in the social media era he couldn't go on social media could he people talk about Muhammad Ali now and it's sort of when you look back at memories of, of your own childhood you remember the good parts you sort of fairy tale it a bit so no one seems to remember if you go back to newspaper reports and, and news reports around that time he wasn't a liked person he stood against everything that America stood for he was for the rights of his brothers and rightfully so everything that America as, as hopefully, if not already changed, he's looking to change. Muhammad Ali was looking to change it all them years ago. All them years ago when not only did the nation not want him to speak on it, his own family didn't want him to speak on it. So imagine the gutsy, the braveness it takes for a man to grow in a family of Christian parents who are telling him, no, this is how we, we live and we live by these rules. And he's saying, no, this isn't right. And then if his own family are, are sort of against it. Imagine going on social media where we've got these nameless, faceless trolls that we see today who who just abuse and name call and bully and, and they call it trolling and they think it's hilarious. It's not hilarious. But imagine him being on social media with already all that against him and then people having the, the weapon of anonymity to use against him. They'd absolutely destroy him and it, I, I shudder to think of some of the things that would have been said to him just based on his beliefs, which since have been proven that human rights are for all humans, not just for a select few. It, it, it would be sickening to read, I'm sure it would.
Yeah, and boxing Twitter in particular would be absolute carnage if, if Muhammad Ali was around. And and I know we look back and we, we say how loved he is now, but I'm sure in those days, and obviously we wasn't living in those times, but I'm sure in those days he had a lot of his haters as well. We do hear about that. Um, and, and it would be more evident with that social media as well. But Dave, we know that Ali's resume is second to none in heavyweight history. With wins over the likes of Fullman, Fraser, Norton, Liston, Lyle, Shavers, Patterson, the list goes on. But what stands out for you most and why? That first Liston fight for me. It's a shame, really, because everybody talks about Frazier, Foreman, and they are incredible, really incredible victories. What he, When you watch Foreman destroy Frazier, lift him off his feet. Uh, Ali sat in his living room thinking, what's going on? I'm supposed to be fighting Frazier for the championship next. I've lost once. I want some revenge against him. I want to pick them titles up. And we've seen this monster born in George Foreman. He was this hard-hitting man. For Ali to go in there and be the only person to stop him throughout an illustrious, long-serving career is phenomenal. But for me, Liston 1 doesn't really get the attention it deserves off the more modern boxing fan. I don't know if that's due to the fact that Liston's less televised, he's obviously not around anymore, you see George Foreman quite active on social media, so people know a bit more about that fight, so it's regularly shared. Back then, Liston wasn't on TV for his every fight, he was quite a, an introvert character, he wasn't one for the newspapers and the media, but if you go back to that fight, Ali was a massive, massive underdog. He, he went in there as a 23-year-old man against Liston, who was an absolute killer. You talk about before Ali winning fights outside the ring. Liston did it through pure fear. He had people shaking in the boots going into the ring because he was literally a killer. If you look back at his career, he's literally a killer. He had a brilliant jab, excellent right cross. He was solid, he was strong, he was dirty, he was physical. He was such a great champion. And like I've said in this... He didn't really get the recognition he deserves. Look, maybe it's because we look back and we see how great Ali ended up that we, we don't really give it as much credit. But at that time, Muhammad Ali, 23 years old, going in with a killer. And he boxed beautifully. He moved like a lightweight. He stung that jab. And he made Liston quit. He made him quit. That's not... He didn't knock him out. He didn't drop him. He didn't... He made him quit on his stool, so to, he'd not only physically beat him, but mentally torture him. It was an absolute incredible victory. Yeah, and Liston was a scary man. And, and like you said, most heavyweights in history would have struggled against a man like that. So that, that was unbelievable for a young man to go in there and, and win in that manner as well. But I'm going to go with the Foreman one. Uh, that's the big standout for me. Um, as with the Liston fight, Ali was not favoured going in, and people feared for his health uh, Ali adopted, uh, adopted the famous rope and up strategy, as we know. Uh, but there was more to it than that. He was brilliant. Um, we saw just how strong physically Ali is in that fight, going up against a huge man in, in George Foreman. Um, and he was catching Foreman consistently with straight shots. And to score a stoppage like that against a feared opponent like Foreman was just incredible. And it's up there for me, Dave. It's up there with the very best wins in boxing's history. Yeah. Definitely. There's more than one of Ali's victories that you could put in with the very best, couldn't you? When he lost that first fight to Frazier, with no Frazier, he's, he's all wrong for Ali. He's small, he's, he's peekaboo, he's fast, he's powerful. Ali liked somebody in front of him, didn't he? Like a Cle Cleveland Williams, a, a Terrell. He can, he, he can bolster his skills about, but Frazier was 
was the opposite of that. He was so elusive. He was hard for Ali. So that would be up there. You put the list and fight up there. Ali just, he fought everybody. We're, we're talking now, Fury versus AJ is such a hard fight to make. And if you look at Fury and AJ's resume, I don't even want us to speak about these two in the same breath as Ali, but let's compare it. Fury's got two world-class wins for me. He's got the Vlad win, away from home, good win. He's got the Deontay Wilder win. Deontay Wilder, we know he's limited, but he's powerful. Anthony Joshua, for me, has got one world-class win, which was Vladimir Klitschko. Muhammad Ali fought George Foreman once, beat George Fraser twice, fought him three times, Ken Norton three times, he fought Ron Lyle, you've, you've named them all. You've not even named them all, there's more. So in, in an even now where we, we look at these superstars in the heavyweight division and, and give them the plaudits and about, you know, oh, he went over to America and he beat Deontay Wilder. Don't talk to me about going away from home and beating anybody because Muhammad Ali did it all. He was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, he really was. And it's crazy to think, Dave, that um, what was likely to be Ali's prime years were taken away from him. Um, he was out of the ring for over three years. And the, the best the best wins of his career against Foreman and Fraser came when he was seemingly past his prime. And if we think of the Cleveland-Williams fight, now I know it was it was far from the best version of Cleveland-Williams, I'll just put that out there, but, but the performance of Ali was just incredible. It's one of the most aesthetically pleasing performances that you're ever going to see. And you just can't help but think, Dave, how good he could have been in those three years if he was in the ring. It, it's, it almost robs sports fans of, you know, they talk of Babe Ruth and people like him, Every, every sport's got their star where you, you look the career from beginning to end and it's just win after win after win. They're breaking records. They're, they're doing things that no one's done before and no one's done since. And to to suggest that Ali had that three-year enforced break out of the ring but still still achieve what he achieved is phenomenal. But imagine if he did have that time. It's something we can't change, but... It, it it would be, you was talking about the greatest heavyweight and you put the other names forward. If he had them three years, he would have been the greatest in any division in everybody's book, for sure. Yeah, and who knows? He might never have lost the fight. He might have got to a stage where it got so easy for him. He cleaned out the whole division. He might have retired early. Um, of course, we know he, he carried on longer than what he should have against the likes of Larry Holmes um, and, and Trevor Burbick, which was sad to see. But who knows, like I said, if he had those three years and he was in his prime and he was beating people with ease, who knows, he, he might have walked away as an unbeaten fighter. As we know, the zero doesn't mean everything. We've seen Ali lose to the likes of Fraser and come back. We've seen him lose to Norton and come back. So it's not everything, but he really could have retired unbeaten if he would have had those three years. But Dave, from floating like a butterfly to being so mean he makes medicine sick, Ali has some truly memorable uh, quotes but Dave, what's your favourite Ali quote of them all? I love the, the happy Muhammad Ali, the float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, the sitting on Parkinson's couch, talking about the comeback against Frazier and, and, and telling you exactly what's going to happen. It's almost like you didn't have to tune in, but he'd do it in poetry. But the one that stands out for me, and I spoke about his out-of-the-ring activities, his out-of-boxing activities earlier, was his You're My Imposer speech, his speech-slash-poem, when he was talking to the media about not going to Vietnam. And it, it, it's obviously a cause that he felt so strongly about that it robbed him of the three, three years we just spoke of earlier. That's how much it meant to him. But they questioned him, why aren't you fighting for your country? I'm not going to recite it because I'll do it not even 1% of justice. I'm not even going to try. But Google it, YouTube it, you're my, import, you're my 
pause her, Muhammad Ali, and he's basically telling the media and everybody that wants to listen exactly why he's not willing to go across the world to kill people that have never wished any harm on him when he can't even eat in the same restaurant as the white person across the road. And it, it, so, it, it sort of brings to life how times were back then. And we talk about racial struggles now, of which there are plenty, I'm sure, but if you look at what they were going through back then, it's absolutely disgusting and he stood up and he he was the man, he was the voice, he was the heavyweight champion of the world which back then was a massive, massive celebrity, a revered character and he used that platform not to show how many Bentleys or Rolls Royces he's got, he used that for the for the power of good and, and that speech that he came out with, it's almost off the bat, obviously he practiced it and he knew what he was saying but it's that heartfelt he could have just pulled it out of his head he was a genius and he truly came out that night yeah it was very moving Dave and like you said the man was just truly inspirational and looking back now even more so but in terms of his quotes there's so many to choose from because as we said the man loved to speak but I'm going to go with this one, Dave. Um, and it was, if you ever dream of beating me, you better wake up and apologise. <laughs> that one is just typical Ali. See, the, the I, I went to my hotel last night. I turned the light off. I was in bed before the room went dark. That almost made mine. But I, <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've watched a lot of movies and stuff and his actual career and his actual interviews. And I'm just so inspired by by how he uses his, his position in boxing. To, to better the world outside of boxing. There's not one person on this world who's seen Muhammad Ali and, and seen what he's done outside the ring who can honestly hand on heart say they're not inspired by him because he is a massive inspiration for, for humankind worldwide. And if there was a few more people like him in the world, maybe at a higher level in ruling countries and things like that, maybe the world would be a much better place. Yeah, well said, Dave. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, do yourself a favour, Dave, and all the listeners as well, Go back and watch an Ali fight this week. Don't watch the highlights. Go and pick a fight. Watch the full fight and, and just enjoy it. Just enjoy how great that man was. I'm going to do the same. Uh, I'm not sure what fight I'm going to go with yet. I'm going to take a look through. But I've, I've seen so many fights of his back. I've seen so many of his fights back over and over. So um, I'm going to enjoy that this week. I'm going to pick a good one. Uh, and I'm just going to watch that full fight. And and even if you want to you extend it even further, go and watch the the pre-match uh, interviews and post-match interviews, if you can find a video with that one as well, as we know. It, it, Ali was just great, and, and that's why he's called the greatest. But on to some boxing news, and as expected, Dave, Matchroom have signed with the Zone UK after their deal with Sky Sports came to an end. Uh, we have one more fight cards to come on that deal, and that's this weekend, which we'll touch upon soon. But Dave, let's look at some of the details of this deal. There'll be a minimum of 16 UK shows per year, plus four additional next-gen cards, um, and we'll have access to all matchroom shows worldwide. So that is a lot of boxing. And I know we touched upon this a few weeks ago, Dave, and we'll talk about the the pricing shortly, but this nine-figure deal surely brings us some better quality Saturday night cards yeah, we're going to talk about this Saturday night's card, the final one on Sky. And if, if we delve to these lows while with the zone, then uh, boxing's well and truly on its way out, isn't it? It's got to be better. And and this the zone deal hopefully gives Eddie Earn a, a renewed energy into wanting to... I'm not saying he, he doesn't want to make great cards now, because the man clearly does. He, he loves his sport. But sometimes a change is as good as a rest. It's a well-known saying. 
So this renewed energy by the zone, this massive figure deal, he'll have new people around him from the zone who hopefully will push the sport. They'll want this to be a massive success. I think the Sky Sports matchroom got a bit stale, it got a bit samey samey. And this new zone deal, we're going to have new production teams, new commentary teams. I think Eddie Earn's going to love, relish this new challenge to bring what he's brought to the UK audience for, for years now onto this international stage and he's gonna he's got to bring some fantastic cards hasn't he yeah and i think people just really tired of everything about those saturday cards on or or, or those matchroom cards on, on sky sports and i think everything just needs a bit of a change up and that goes to sky sports too this could work out to be a good thing for them as well but as we know the price of 199 a month is going to rise following the fight camp card so we're talking mid-august um and i expect it to at least be 999 it might be more who knows but dave eddie mentioned having four premium events now what do you think that means will this mean premium events will have an extra charge on top of your monthly subscription i don't know what does it mean i read it as four premium events in as part of your subscription that's how i read it and i i was happy with that but then i seen people coming out saying see he's talking about premium events so you're getting your 16 uk cards you're getting your international shows your Matrium Italy, your Matrium America and places like that. But then these premium are going to be something separate. And he hasn't really come out and, ver- and clarified or cleared up that sort of confusion. I'm hoping that they're inclusive of of the subscription because when we paid for Sky Sports, how much is Sky Sports? Say nine quid. But you're not paying your nine quid a month just towards the boxing. You're paying for it towards the football, the cricket, the rugby, whatever else Sky Sports show. But this... This subscription fee, which, it, as you just mentioned there, it's certainly going to go up. It's not sustainable at that price. And DAZN came out and said it is a limited time introductory offer. And and I think they're cutting it off after the third fight camp. So after that, we'll know more then, sort of going forward, what we're going to be looking at. But if we are looking at £10 a month, I mean, it's going solely towards Eddie Earn's pocket, then I don't expect to have to pay any more on top of that. Because he's, he's getting 100% of that fund. So I don't see how you can then justify pay-per-view on top of that. So fingers crossed there's no pay-per-view. I say no pay-per-view. Pay-per-view is never going to be completely dead, is it? When we're talking Joshua Fury, even if Joshua comes over to zone, I don't think we're going to get that for £10 a month. So I guess there may be the odd break of the norm, break of the rule. But I don't expect to see Chisora versus Parker and have to pay an extra 15 18 quid. I think that's dead now. It's got to be dead. Yeah, and of course, all will be revealed when they release the full details of this. And we don't really know what those premium events mean at the moment. Now, they did say that there's going to be 12 what they call normal shows and four premium events, which led me towards the the feeling that it's going to be some sort of uh, fee on top of that. So to be honest, Dave, if we did get quality cards, um, I'm sure nobody would complain about the premium events if it was just an extra few quid. So let's say they said it's 9.99 9.99 a month um and if you wanted the the premium cards you pay an extra two quid a month or maybe even just just one-off fees for those um for those premium events not such as in a pay-per-view route where it's 20 pounds to pay for that premium show but maybe an extra two pound for that month which wouldn't be it wouldn't be too devastating if that was the case but of course if they go down the route of pay-per-view which they said they wasn't going to go down on the zone, there's going to be questions asked. So for me, this is kind of a route around it where they can say, we're not doing pay-per-view, but we're going to do these premium shows where maybe it's an extra two, three pound on top, which is not going to be too much for people to complain about. 
and and it it obviously doesn't go down as pay per view events as well. So we'll have to see. But but one thing for me, Dave, is surely they're going to have to dip into the match from USA stable and get some of these guys over to fight in the UK as well because. With respect, I can't imagine calling a card headlined by a Luke Campbell or a Callum Smith as a premium card. But if you've got some of those Matchroom USA stars over, you may be able to classify that as a premium card. Yeah, there's got to, it's got to be multiple world championship fights, hasn't it? Pay-per-view in the end seemed to be one world title fight at the head of the card. You might get a female world title fight sub-main event. And then you you just your average fights on the build up or you know, you're getting people like Young Campbell Atten on the undercard. That's not a pay per view for me. That that should just be your average Saturday night card. So they need to bring the Haneys over, the Andreads over, people like that. Make these make them stars over here. You'll get many more subscribers. But we'll see. It, it, it is interesting times. They keep calling it this game changer, don't they? So hopefully they've changed the game for the better of the fan. Not for the better of, of, you know, the coffers pockets because there's only so much we can take. And with it being subscription, but you can just pick up and drop. There's no contract. People will vote with the pockets at the end of the day and they'll drop this app and they'll go back to see what Sky Sports are going to team up with and see what's going on there. So they really need to be careful. We deserve better. I think Eddie's aware that we deserve better. So fingers crossed he delivers better. Yeah, and I think in a year's time, Dave, we, we can look over these 16 cards and we can pass that judgment and, and we can say um, whether it's been value for money at that point. And like you said, people will, will decide with their pockets. And if they don't think it's been great in that first year and we're not and these premium cards haven't lived up to the expectation and this nine-figure nine budget hasn't really gone too far and, and got us the, uh, the shows that we deserve, then they're just not going to pay for the app. So uh, let's see. They've simply got to be better than what we've seen in the past year or so. But um, one thing I did touch upon earlier is where this leaves Sky. Now, they've taken crit- uh, criticism for not picking up the Taylor Ramirez fight, but then going on to pick up the Mayweather-Paul fight. So this is kind of a chance, in my opinion, this is kind of a chance for them to redeem themselves a little bit with boxing fans in the UK they can probably pick up a few quality international cards and maybe look to work with some other UK-based promotional teams. Dave, what's your thoughts on that, about what, what Sky can do with this? They, they need to look at this as an opportunity not a loss, don't they? Matchroom have gone. They had that incredible relationship. They delivered. I know we're critical of some cards, but they did deliver great cards as well. Sky can't mop around. They can't sulk that they've lost Matchroom. They need to look to the future are we going to bring Americans over, Golden Boy cards over, get them solely signed to Sky, top rank or PBC? Maybe they could get a deal over there. There's opportunity there. Are we going to look more homegrown? Obviously, we've got Queensbury who are teamed up with BT that don't look like they're going anywhere. But we've got Dennis Hobson with his, his, his fight app. There's Ricky Atten stable. There's the, the smaller stables. There's MTK, but we've seen in the past that Sky have been a bit reluctant for, to work with MTK over reports of the former owner of MTK, which I'm not going to go into on this podcast, just not worth it. But there is opportunity there. They need to see it as an opportunity rather than losing Eddie Earn and Matry. Yeah, and you mentioned about BT and, and Queensbury, Dave, but there's been rumours about BT moving away from sport and, and there been there was also rumours that DAZN were going to buy out BT. So I don't know if anything's going to come of that and so on. But of course, if that did happen, that could lead to, to Frank Warren looking to take his stable back over to Sky where he was many years ago. But who knows? But like I said, there, there's other promoters out there that they could look to work with. And, and hopefully 
they can start getting some of those international cards, which they've sort of neglected recently. We did used to get some real good international yeah. cards on Sky, but they've just not been picking them up. So let's see how that goes. It could work out, as we mentioned a few weeks back, it could work out to be the best for both Matchroom and Sky. So let's see how that goes, because the partnership had gone stale, in all honesty. But on to our £10 to £1,000 challenge. And unfortunately... Um, as you touched upon earlier, Dave, we were unable to get on the board after Jarrett Hurd's loss to Arias. Uh, we didn't see that one coming. But, Dave, I think, and I'm sure you'll agree, I think we should take a break this week um, and go again next week as I think it's another tough week. And I feel like we're just forcing it, trying to pick some fights and to find some value. And I just don't see why we should just go for the sake of it. So I think come back next week when there's some better fights on and, and, and we'll, we'll go again and we'll get on the road to winning this money, Dave. Yeah, I can't agree more. We, we've been looking at sort of ward points this weekend, which is nailed on, but the odds will, will show it's nailed on. We need a few more cards, a few more high-profile fights, a few more 50-50s that we can look at. We can assess both fighters and put our heads together and try and try and get some value because, like you say at the minute, we're, we're chasing diamonds in a, in a pile of coal, really. If it, there's just nothing there. I'm not going to chase something that's not there anymore. Yeah, and I just think how hard it was putting something together for this week. And, and it, it almost looked like we had it. We got the first two in with Heaney winning by uh, KO. And um, what was the other bet? We went with Dubois to win in the first six rounds. So yeah. that was looking good. And obviously then Heard just didn't turn up and he had a nightmare performance. So it is what it is. But on to this week's Boxing Dave. And as with last week, there isn't a great deal to be excited about. We've got the final card of the Matchroom Sky Partnership. Headlined by Lewis Ritson in an IBF uh, title eliminator against Jeremiah Ponce. Um, and stateside, there's a top-ranked card headlined by Shakur Stevenson. But Dave, let's start with a Sky card. And let's not be kind here. This is a poor card. Um, I'll run through the fights quickly. Um, not many on paper look like much of a contest. Um, as mentioned, the headliner is Ritson versus Ponce. Uh, we've got... Uh, Thomas Patrick Ward looking to bounce back from a below-par performance against Thomas and Somba. He's taking on Eddie uh, Valencia Mercado. Uh, could another Mexican, an unknown Mexican, crash the party? I don't think so, but who knows? Uh, looking at his record, it seems unlikely, as I said. Um, we've got Alan Savage Babic taking on the very active TBA. <laughs> He's out again, isn't he? I, I, I wonder, <laughs> not stopping. I, I wonder what sort of performance TBA is going to put in this week because I don't think he did too well in the previous weeks. <laughs> uh, Law, uh, Joe Laws returns uh, whilst Ellie Scottney features as well. But Dave, what are your thoughts on this one? I mentioned it earlier, didn't I? It's sort of mirror image of a Queensbridge card last week. It, it's it's not a, a way of saying goodbye, is it? You think, final fight together, let's build something special, let's make it memorable as a last night together. It's more He's a way of out. saying good riddance, isn't it, Dave? Yeah, good yeah. riddance, get out. We don't want you. <laughs> it, it's a shame, isn't it? Uh, I don't believe... That Ritson should be in there after his last performance. I think he's got unfinished business elsewhere, but this is boxing, full of politics. We know why he's in there. But yeah, really not a fun card. Will we watch it? Of course we will, because we're daft like that and we keep watching these these subpar cards. But it, it, it's not, you know, we, we won't be screaming about it Saturday night, will we? Certainly not. Yeah, Dave, let's talk Lewis Ritson. And I know you're probably going to upset a few of the Geordies uh, like you have been doing on Twitter. Um, and like you did with the Aussie fans the other week when mentioning about that KO, which we won't talk about. But um, I don't know much about Ponce. Um, he's fought most of his career out of the uh, out of his native Argentina. I've had a little watch of him on YouTube uh, this week, though, Dave. He looks nothing special. Um, he is quite long with a decent jab, but 
he does look beatable. But what are we saying about Ritson? We're not saying Ritson's a world beater as we've seen in his last fight. So let's see. Uh, there were, of course, high hopes for Ritson before he's lost to Patera. Uh, he blasted his way through the domestic scene before he got taught a bit of a lesson at European level. But he has bounced back with a few wins. Um, one in a cracking fight against Robbie Davis Jr. I really enjoyed that one. And the last round of that fight was incredible. Uh, but as you touched upon in his last outing, Dave, against Miguel Vasquez, he was gifted one, let's be honest. So, Dave, what are your thoughts on Lewis Ritson? Uh, he blows hot and cold, doesn't he? I think he's certainly a fighter that fell foul of the pandemic and, and there's no energy and no atmosphere in the stadium because... That Northeast faithful, you've seen them on Twitter. <laughs> like you've just mentioned, they stick the they stick in the bees nest every now and again and give it a rattle, and <laughs> and, and you know they're going to be at because they love the boxing up there. And, and the lads over at British Boxing Blog, per great lads, and and they love the boxing. But you just know if you if you offend a Northeast fighter, you're going to get a bite. <laughs> uh, but they're a pair of great lads. They know what they know. It's all banter. But Ritson, he, he's difficult to judge, isn't he? Because like you say, you've just named a couple of great performances there. But then you just named a couple where you expected better. Maybe with a crowd behind him. He, this is difficult if there's no crowd behind him and he is suffering through that lack of energy, that buzz, because they lift him another two levels, don't they, really? So maybe this might be more tricky than, than we imagine. But I hope he does well. I've nothing against Louis Ritson. I just don't like an underdog performing well, arguably, not even arguably, he should have got the decision, we all know that, and then sort of being just cast into the background and left to rot. He should have got his rematch, but I don't wish any harm on Ritson. I wish him well this weekend and, and hope he goes on to do great things, but he needs to face Vasquez again for me. Yeah, and he, the hype kind of died down for Ritson after the Patera defeat, and even more so when he lost, well, when he, we thought he lost to Vasquez, but got the decision. But like you touched upon, Dave, uh, that was a behind-closed-doors fight. He didn't have that crowd behind him. He is going to have that crowd behind him this week. And this fight is huge for him, Dave. Uh, maybe he, maybe some will say he doesn't deserve to be in this position, but he's in this position now. Um, we know after the Patera fight, he had to go away, he had to work hard. And he's going to have to do the same now after the performance against Vasquez. And I'm sure he has been doing for the last eight months or so. So I'm interested to see what Ritson actually turns up and to see whether he's been able to make those adjustments that were clearly needed in those uh, in the defeat against Patera and 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 the disappointing performance to say the least uh, against Vasquez, but like I said, he's been handed an opportunity here. Um, he could be fighting for a world title off the back of this, so it is massive for him. And with that crowd behind him, surely he's going to be up for what is now the biggest fight in his career. It is bigger than the Patera fight now. He had that Patera fight for the European title. He come up short, but this is even bigger for him now. He's got a chance to earn a world title shot. Now, I don't expect him, Dave, and I'm sure you wouldn't either. And I'm sure even the the, the most supportive of Geordie fans wouldn't expect him to pose much of a problem for Josh Taylor. But who knows? Those titles might become vac uh, vacant and we could well see Ritson in a position to become a world champion, Dave. Yeah, he, he certainly, if he times it right, and he's got to take that Vasquez win as as a golden ticket, really. He, I'm sure himself, he'll know he didn't perform like he can, like he should have, like he was expected to. So, like you've just mentioned, this is the biggest night of his life. He was given it to him by a golden ticket. He needs to grasp this by both hands. Then let's see what Josh, uh, Josh Taylor does. If he goes up to 147, you've just mentioned it there, then belts go everywhere, don't they? He could pick a world title up. And the most unfancied world champion, really, because I don't believe he's, he's world elite level calibre. But that's what happens when 
you've got so many belts and they're, they're a bit scattered. He could get in a position where, let's face it, Eddie Hearn's going to try and get him the, the lightest world title shot going just because he knows himself that maybe Ritson's not... He's not Josh Taylor, is he? We all know that. And I, I don't think that's offensive to say that because he's not. But Eddie Hearn will be trying to guide him that right route. And if he times it right, which he looks like he could if he gets this win this weekend... He could just fall over his world champion, couldn't he? And then I'll have to mute the British boxing blog lines <laughs> because they'll be telling me straight, I told you he's a world champion. Uh, but moving stateside, David, another man who's in world, uh, world title contention and perhaps a little bit more deservedly, uh, the extremely talented Shakur Stevenson. Uh, he takes on Jeremiah uh, Nakafila. I hope I'm saying that right, for the WBO interim at £130 now. I don't see in this uh, see this one being too difficult a task for him, Dave. Uh, but a win should see him fight Jamel Herring uh, for the WBO title next. Dave, what are your thoughts on Shakur Stevenson and his future prospects? I love Shakur Stevenson. He, he's he's the ultimate boxing fighter, isn't he? He boxes. He doesn't fight. He moves so well. His feet are a blur. His hand speed's amazing. He uses angles. He al- he's always smiling. Always smiling. He just loves his work in there. When you see a fighter like that, Manny Pacquiao's like that. You see Manny Pacquiao walking to the boxing ring. He's laughing. He's singing. He's smiling. And it, and it sort of it reflects in the performance. If they're happy and they're enjoying what they're doing, they just seem to fight that little bit better. That little lot better, really, because Shakur's just a dream to watch. The only problem with him is he hasn't faced that adversity yet, has he? And I've watched, I'm not even going to try to say his name. You've just said it there. I hope you said it right as well because I can't say it. But I YouTubed him because I can spell it. And I watched him. He's very aggressive. He's very square on. He's very, he throws a lot of looping punches. And that's ideal for Shakur Stevenson. He loves to throw off your punches. He'll box this guy's ears off. No two ways about it. And then it's on to Herring who had that great performance against Frampton. And that for me will be a... A good indicator, because I like Jamal Herring, he's good at what he does. It'll be an indicator of where Shakur is now, but going forward, what is he, 23? He's got a hell of a career ahead of him, hasn't he? The only problem is, I think he lacks that pop. He lacks that bit of power, and with the lightweight division being such an attractive division now, if he moves up to 135 and that lack of pop is a bit more apparent, he could fall short, and I worry about that. But if he stays at 130 for a bit longer and matures into himself, we know that fighters, they say they get the man strength at a certain point of time, don't they? Maybe he's not reached that yet. Once he's he's matured and he's got his full strength, if he can add power to his game, we've got an absolute phenomenal fighter, haven't we? Future long-term looks brilliant, but I'd, I'd just slow down a bit before going to 135 if I was his advisor. Yeah, and I put a tweet out yesterday, Dave, stating that uh, Shakur will be on everyone's pound-for-pound list soon. And I genuinely genuinely believe that um, the boy has skills, as you've just touched upon. He's a pure boxer. Um, And I think once he's got that resume to match, as you touched upon as well, people won't be able to leave him off their pound-for-pound list. He's a southpaw. He's got speed. He's an accurate and active puncher. Um, and I think he's going to be a real problem for anyone. You touched upon his, his, his apparent lack of power or maybe just he lacks a little bit of power that uh, going up in weights could affect him. But I think he's going to be a multi-weight champion. He's already won a world yeah. title at 126. Um, he, he, he will, for my, in my opinion, win titles at 130. And I, th- I agree with you. I don't think he should move up straight away to 135 pounds. 
So if he does beat uh, Jamal Herring and he does get that fight next, which he should because he's mandatory, if he does get that fight and he wins that title, I don't think he should be in a rush to go anywhere and chase after those fights at 135 pounds. Um, there's still fights for him there at, uh, at 130 pounds. Another man being Oscar Valdez, who, of course, is with top rank as well. So yeah. I know that's one that um, Herring wanted. He wanted that unification and it's hard to deny him that his age and, and, and what he's had to go through to get where he is. And like you said, he, he's a very nice guy, Herring. Um, and he is a good fighter. We saw that against uh, Frampton. And I know he, his size helped him against Frampton, but he boxed really well in that fight as well. Um, and he won't be an easy fight for Shakur Stevenson. He won't be an easy fight for Oscar Valdez, but it looks like Shakur Stevenson is going to get that chance. Um, and what I hope with Shakur Stevenson, and I think another thing, another reason why I don't want to see him move to £135 yet, Dave, is because I fear if he does go to £135, I think we could see a similar situation with uh, Terence Crawford, um, where he's not going to get the opponents he wants. I think he's going to be avoided like the plague, if I'm being honest, Dave. I don't think many people are going to be keen to go near Shakur Stevenson unless they have to. And, and, with respect to Herring, he has to fight Shakur Stevenson. Otherwise, he has to give up that title. So let's see what he does. And I know Herring's not the sort of man to duck a challenge anyway. Um, like I said, it, it would have been great for him to have that um, unification fight with Oscar Valdez. But if it has to be Shakur Stevenson uh, for him, I don't think he's going to duck that challenge. He's going to take that. And um, I would favour Stevenson in that. And I'm sure you would too, Dave. Um, but let's say, let's say Stevenson does take on Herring. He gets the win against Herring. Um, and then they pit him against Oscar Valdez in a unification fight. Who would you favour in that one, Dave? It's a tough one, isn't it? Because Oscar Valdez last night he was uh, he was phenomenal as well. So, but Shakur Stevenson's the future for me. I'm very much on board with what you're saying, and I think he'll learn in the Jamel Herring fight, and he'll be more than ready for Oscar Valdez. I think he takes Valdez if he can get in a position, Shakur Stevenson, where he's holding WBO, WBA. These titles, he can move up and be mandatory. They can't avoid him then. So I think, like you just mentioned there, he needs to sit at 130 a bit longer. I think he beats Herring and I think he beats Valdez. And that is, <laughs> that's look at my resume. Not look at it in a, in a poor way, as we could do now. We could pick it apart and say, who have you fought? If he beats Herring and Valdez, you're looking at him thinking, this guy is a, is a real deal. Oh, yeah, for sure, Dave. If he beats both of those two, he's 100% on everyone's pound-for-pound list. He's got the skill set to be there. So once that resume is there to match, he's definitely going to be on the pound-for-pound list. So let's see how it goes with him. Um, I'm looking forward to that fight being made, hopefully, uh, Stevenson and Herring. That, that's a great chance uh, for Stevenson to put his name on the map and really get moving um, with his resume. As we know, it needs to be improved in a moment. But um, as always, we're going to finish the show with our prediction. So last week was Finn on the ground. So Dave remains six points ahead. Uh, we've got four fights to predict this week. And we're, usually, uh, we're going back to the usual format of three points for a correct winner um, and method. And one point just for the correct winner only. Um, we're going to start with Ritson against Ponce. Dave, what's your prediction there? Difficult one because I've not seen much of Ponce. I only see, uh, never even re really heard his name until this week. So it's, it's probably Ponce. I don't know, Dave. I'm, I'm yeah, calling him Ponce, be, yeah. but yeah, yeah. Don't tell him. I've got enough people. <laughs> <laughs> the Australian lot now, the Geordie <laughs> lot. I don't need any more. But I'm going Ritz and points. What I have seen of Ponce, he, he looks like he's sturdy enough. But Matrim, well, we are being <laughs> too offensive to Matrim. I'm sure them judges are already pre-lined up, and I'm sure Ritz and all. I can't see him. I don't rate Ritz as a massive puncher. 
I think Ponce's got a decent... It looks sturdy enough. I think Ritson gets a point to win. Deserved, though. I'm not saying it's all, you know, backroom sorting the judges out. That's a bit of, bit of banter for the British boxing blog, lad. But, yeah, Ritson points deservedly so. Well, who knows it, whether it will be deserved or not, but we'll have to see with that. But I'm, <laughs> I'm going with the same, Dave. Um, I think this is huge for Ritson, as I touched upon earlier. Um, and, and I can't see him, see him letting this one slip. Um, I know Ponce, he's, he's going to look to pressure from what I've seen of him. Um, and Ritson probably will find this difficult at, uh, at times, but I think the home crowd is going to spur him on. I think he's going to work his socks off in there and he's going to think back to those those two fights. Well, one that he did lose and one that perhaps everyone believes he lost. And I think he's going to grind out that points win. And, and hopefully it will be a deserved one. Um, so that we don't have that talking point next week. But I'm, I'm back in Ritson and, and I wish him well. And I'd love to see him get the opportunity to fight for a world title. Um, let's just hope he earns that. Uh, but Ward, Mercado, Dave, um, will there be another Mexican causing an upset? I don't think so, by the way, you were speaking earlier. No, Ward points. Ward's not a power puncher, is he? But he'll box himself to a convincing victory. Yeah, I can't see anything. If I had to bet my house on any fight card this weekend, it'd be ward points on this one. Yeah, it definitely looks the banker bet to me. Like Neither man, as you touched upon there, not just ward. Neither man looks like a heavy hitter, but uh, ward is better than what we saw against Nsomba. Um And I think we're going to see a much better version of him in this one, and I think he's going to get the decision win. But uh, Stevenson against Necrophilia, Dave, um, I'm, sure, I'm sure we're both going to go with the same winner, but by which method? It's a tricky one, isn't it, when you, you get these fighters, these little known fighters coming over. It's hard to gauge, even if you find videos of them. You can't really gauge the opposition they're fighting either. So although he might look really good, anybody could look good against some of the fighters that he's fought. And going Stevenson, like you say, that's that's almost nailed on, isn't it? I'm going to go points. I'm going to, I'm going to stick by the, the claim that I, I think he's got limited power. I'm going to go Stevenson points. Yeah, I'm I'm going to go with the opposite, Dave. I'm going to go with him to win by a stoppage. I think his class is going to be too much in this one. I like you touched upon earlier. From what I've seen of, of Nekafila, I think he's made for Stevenson and I think he's going to pick him off. And I think he will get that stoppage. Maybe a little bit later in the fight, maybe between rounds 8 and 12. But I'm going to go with a stoppage win. Um, and on the undercard, we've got Jose Pedraza. Um, and he's going to be meeting uh, prospect Julian Rodriguez. And this one could be a very good fight, Dave. Probably will be uh, the fight of the card. But, Dave, how do you see that one going? Yes, this one's tricky for another reason, because Pedraza is only lost to, to decent fighters. And I can't... It, it was hard to pick against him. So I've gone Pedraza points, which isn't going to be a popular one, because you'd expect the prospect... To be to be a planned route up to the top, but I think Pedraza's a, a banana skin. I think he's gonna he's gonna slip here. So Pedraza points. Yeah, I think Pedraza's looked better in his last two outings um, after he's lost to Zapata, Dave um, and Rodriguez. He does look a good talent, but it's certainly a step up for him in class. Um, but I'm gonna go with a Rodriguez points win. Um, I just think if it does go the distance, I think they're gonna favour the prospect um, Pedraza. Like you said, he's only lost the good fighters, but I don't think they've got too much value left in him, uh, whereas Rodriguez is an unbeaten fighter. And um, I, I read an article about this, and the article said that they either they are uh, top-ranker either very high on him or they don't really rate him that much and they're throwing, throwing him in with someone like Pedraza <laughs> to bring him down. But I, I just think they're going to side with him here. And if it does go to a decision, I think, I think they're going to go with the, with the younger man and, and the prospect here, the unbeaten man. 
so Dave, uh, that is a wrap. Uh, we floated like a butterfly. We stung like bees tonight. But any final words? Yeah, yeah, I've just really enjoyed. You can't ever talk too much about Muhammad Ali, can you? And I've really enjoyed going through it. I've made notes tonight, and I put them to one side. I didn't need them because when you've watched it and you've been inspired by such a man, you don't need notes. Everything's there. You can, it just rolls out. He's absolute sensational character, brilliant fighter. Sadly missed. Me, rest in peace, because he's one of the last of that generation. We got Foreman still going around me. Um, but Ali is certainly definitely missed so yeah rest in peace the champ yeah well said Dave and we have dedicated this episode to Muhammad Ali so rest in peace champ as you said um, go out watch a fight this week watch a Muhammad Ali fight this week and just relive the greatness but thanks to all the listeners um, enjoy the weekend's boxing and take care <laughs>